M A I N M U M U Main Menu Main Menu Welcome to Main Menu for June 27, 2009. I'm Jamie Pauls. This week, we begin a two-part interview with Mike Arrigo, who is best known for a series of podcasts on Blind Cool Tech, which demonstrate the use of voiceover on the Mac. We will talk with Mike about his experiences using the Mac, the recent article in the June Braille Monitor, which is critical of voiceover, and other topics of interest. But first, we have a short technology roundup. On June 22nd, Freedom Scientific announced the imminent release of the Focus 40 Blue wireless Bluetooth Braille display. It has a USB 2.0 port and a Perkins-style Braille keyboard with connectivity up to 30 feet. The unit charges via USB. It begins shipping in July and is priced at $4,495 with a two-year warranty. Salona.net has released an automation tool that will make solving CAPTCHA via the service easier and faster than ever. You can find out more by visiting www.solona.net. On June 23rd, Serotech unveiled AccessibleEvent.com, an online platform for holding meetings and webinars. Visit www.serotech.com for more information. Finally, as many of you already know, Apple has released the iPhone 3GS with a built-in screen reader. The phone has a touch screen and has caused quite a bit of discussion in the blind community. You can visit Shane Jackson's Blind World blog and podcast, Serotalk, and LionCourt.com for demos and discussion of the new iPhone. And now, part one of our interview with Mike Arrigo. I'm kind of curious, what um, got you started on the Mac? What actually happened, I had heard a couple of things on Main Menu, and I, I had used a Mac actually back in college, back when um, Outspoken was was out. This was back, I think, when the Mac uh, had, I think it was 7.5 was the version of the OS uh, that was used at that point. And... Um, you know, outspoken, of course, was the uh, screen reader, and uh, wow, how times changed. Although for its time, it was pretty good. I mean, you figure how many megs are the uh, you know the screeners you know nowadays. Even voiceover probably on the Mac is quite a bit bigger. But believe it or not, outspoken for the Mac back then was only about 150k. That's it. Wow, <laughs> and that was for a graphical you know interface. It, it was um, so. Um, I used it back then, and this was back when you know Windows 95 was was the latest and, and greatest thing. And even back then, Outspoken did some things even you know better than than Windows did at the time. Uh, if you wanted to surf the web, you didn't really have uh, the virtual cursor and stuff that we've kind of all kind of figured a second nature now. I think WinVision was the first to do that, but. Uh, this was back, uh, I think the browser of choice on the Mac was probably Netscape version 3. Wow. <laughs> well, those were the days. Um, and it, it worked. Of course, back then the pages weren't uh, near as, as graphical as they are now. It was it was definitely um, usable, but uh, you could actually use a terminal uh, program on those Macs uh, fairly decently. This was back when modems were still kind of used. And, of course, if you remember in the early days of Windows, if you tried to use a Windows screen reader's speak all command uh, it would end up repeating stuff so much that it really wasn't very 
practical. Yeah. Um, but the Mac, it actually did work. You could turn on the screen all, you know, Echo thing, and, and it spoke it very well. It actually worked uh, very nicely. So that was my first experience uh, with a Mac. And then, of course, you know, they came out with uh, versions 8 and 9 of the Mac OS. And I, I had kind of gotten away from it at that point because I was out of college and uh, hadn't really got one of, of my own. But then, of course, they went to Mac OS uh, 10. And uh, for a while then, of course, the Mac was was inaccessible for, for blind people uh, up until uh, 10.4 when they started using, you know, including uh, voiceover. And now in 10.5, which is the current OS, uh, they've really updated it. So essentially you could call it, for lack of a better term, you know, voiceover 2.0. And, of course, in Snow Leopard, which is going to be out in a couple of months, uh, they've done some updates. So that'll essentially be, you know, 3.0. So it's really – voiceover has come a long way in the couple of years it's been – uh, around, but uh, to get back uh, to your question, how I got started. So that was my first experience, and then I heard, um, you know, on menu, menu menu there were a couple of shows of people, you know, using uh, Macs and with the built-in you know, screen or voiceover, and it's like, well, maybe you know, this might be a good thing to look at. So I um, signed up for um, you know one of the email lists and asked uh, some questions, and uh, I do want to give a credit. Uh, where credit is due, I always do that. And uh, uh, David Pullman actually was the person who actually really uh, helped me get started. At least answered my initial questions about it before I bought it, and then he actually kind of helped me get through the uh, setup. And then from there, I kind of you know took it and ran with it, and and, and continued on from uh, from there. So you know, after listening to the main menu, I, I decided to to give it a try, and uh, you know, just as, as time went on, I. Um, you know, I, I've got a couple of PCs here, so I, you know, kind of delved into it slowly and used, um, you know, used Windows as I as I continued to learn, you know, how the Mac did things and and how everything worked. And then, of course, I started, you know, doing the podcasts because I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to let everyone know, you know, hey, this really does work. It's it's a great thing, and you know, it's a computer where the accessibility is is built in, which really is the way it should be. I mean. <laughs> With any of this stuff, you know, the, a computer, a cell phone, in my opinion, we should not have to be paying anything extra than than sighted people do. And to make something accessible should not have to be done by third-party companies. The companies that make these products should have the responsibility of making it accessible, in, in my opinion. Yeah. So Apple has definitely done that. And, um, you know, as I've used the Mac more and more, like I say, I've, I've found I use Windows uh, less and less, except course when i have to for work or if i'm in you know the other room where a pc is closer i may use windows uh you know then but not because i i have to it's just because it's it's a closer computer at that point in time and um you know it's without having to go in the other room and, and, and fire up the mac because i only have uh, one mac at this point in time but uh uh the mac has become my primary computer by by far um you know i'll fire up windows yeah. Well, I should say a PC. I mean, I have Windows also on my Mac, and I'll use that occasionally for a couple of things that are unfortunately aren't available on the Mac platform yet. Hopefully, that will that will change. But uh, as far as my PCs go, my actual PCs, uh, if I fire them up once or twice a month, I'm I'm lucky. I uh, just kind of point out to anyone that might be listening. I think it's podcast number six that you actually really get into, um, which I found very interesting. Um, running Windows on the Mac. 
That's five, I think. Is it actually, five. Okay. I believe it's five, but don't but don't quote me on that. Yeah, there are a couple of ways to do that. Um, back in two thousand six, I think it was Apple um, actually um, got rid of the uh, Power PC uh, platform, and they they actually switched to uh, the Intel uh, platform. So uh, essentially, it's using. Uh, the same processors that uh, PCs would be using. They're dual-core, so you can do a 64-bit OSs. Uh, but they, they went to that in 2006, and so ever since then, you know, people have run several different operating systems on their Macs, everything from Windows to, to Linux. And as far as you know, Windows goes, there's a couple of ways to do it. Uh, you can use a boot camp, which is free. Uh, it comes with the operating system, and what that does it essentially sets up a boot manager, and then you can choose when you boot up the Macintosh, you can choose to boot into the Mac OS, or you can choose to boot into Windows. So there you're booting Windows you know, natively in much the same way that a PC would. Now, of course, the disadvantage to that is when you want to switch operating systems, you do have to shut one down and start up the other one. But the advantage of it is each operating system, whether you're running Windows or Mac OS at the time, has all of your available resources, all the available memory and, and processing power. Uh, the other, well, one other disadvantage of the boot camp route is you are essentially installing Windows the same way you would on a PC. So, you know, you would boot off of the, uh, well, what happens is you, um, there's a boot camp uh, partition utility that you run in Mac OS, and that, that is accessible, and it asks you, you know, how much space do you want to set aside for Windows, and you, you tell it. And then what it essentially does is it makes a second partition on your hard drive. And then it says, you know, do you want to start up your Windows CD now, or do you want to wait, you know, till later to install it, and you choose that. And uh, you can, by the way, I should point out too, uh, if you want to boot off of a bootable, you know, CD on the Mac, this is another advantage of the Mac. There's no BIOS setup to deal with. Uh, a lot of times when you get a PC, the first thing you'll want to do is check the BIOS settings and make sure that everything you know is set optimally. And a lot of times, you know, if you want to change the boot order, uh, you have to go into the BIOS setup, which usually doesn't speak. Well, on the Mac, that's not the case. Um, when the Mac starts up, if you want to boot off of the optical drive, you just hold the C key down for a few seconds, and that will uh, boot off of that. Or if you have different startup volumes like in this case you know the mac os or windows if you've installed it that way you hold uh, the option key down while it starts up and then it gives you a menu and you can just press your left or right arrow key it doesn't speak but right. you, know, you just press it uh, either way and, and you can uh and you can do that so there is no uh, there is no bias setup to concern yourself with on a mac um but anyway getting back to the boot camp so what you're essentially doing then is you boot off of the windows disk and the install proceeds as it would on a PC. So unless you make a, a script, an answer file to do it totally without you know prompting, you're probably going to need cited help to do it that way. Now the other way to do it, and this is how I've done it, is to use a program called a Fusion from uh, VMware, who also is known for making, uh, I think they make a version of that for the PC also, I think, but uh, Fusion is the name of the program. And what this allows you to do is install Windows or Linux or several other operating systems as a virtual machine. And the advantage of that, of course, is you can run both operating systems simultaneously. I have Windows XP installed uh, on my uh, Mac here, and then you can run 
you know, the Windows screen readers. I use uh, Windowize and uh, System Access here from Ceratech, and they work uh, really well. Um, of course, the disadvantage then is you're sharing resources with the Mac OS, so it is going to be a little bit slower, though the responsiveness is very acceptable, I think. And, uh, you know, you can choose how much to allocate as far as memory goes. Now, the other advantage to Fusion, which is really nice, is you can install Windows totally without cited help. Uh, what happens is you tell it, once it's installed, you tell it you want to make a new virtual machine, and you insert your Windows disk, and it basically says, okay, you've got a Windows XP disk, what do you want to do? Do you want to use the automated install, or do you want to run the install uh, the regular way? So you would say, in this case, the automated install, and it basically says, okay, uh, what's your product key? You tell it your Windows product key, and it essentially does the rest. And within like 20, 25 minutes, you find yourself, uh, you hear the Windows startup sound, and you're on the Windows desktop. It automates the install, so you can install Windows with Fusion uh, totally without sighted help. And my Mac, uh, I'm using a Mac Mini, so it has one gig of RAM. So it's one gig shared between Windows and the OS. Um, it works. Uh, running Windows, it does swap to the disk um, a bit. Um, I've thought about putting another gig of RAM uh, into this uh, computer, though the Mini, of course, with being a small size, it's it's not as easy to um, to work with as like an iMac would be, but I, I may do it, but it, it does work. Um, I've got about 400 megs allocated to uh, to Windows, to my virtual machine. Now, I was going to ask you about that because I just upgraded from 512 meg of RAM on my computer to 2 gig, and I was noticing Windows was getting really sluggish under 512. Now, I assume part of the reason why you might be able to do that is because you don't have as many applications installed in the Windows environment. Right. I don't have actually anything that I don't need on the Windows that I don't have installed. So I've got like, you know, Internet Explorer and Firefox. Like I don't have I don't have Adobe Reader installed because I don't need it. You can read PDFs very well on the Mac and actually it's a lot faster. I do have Media Player, though I seldom use it because again the Mac is more than capable of uh, handling that. I um I do have Office, although again I I don't uh use it much there are, there are occasions when i do for for a couple of um of things but it's but it's very rare i have office at 2000 but yeah i don't have i don't have near as many apps as you would have installed on um on a regular windows computer because the primary reason i've got windows on the mac is for things like kurzweil 1000 for instance that unfortunately aren't available on the mac platform but uh when I can, I, I, I do my tasks on the Mac side as opposed to Windows. Very good. Have you played at all with, and I was actually wondering about this after I listened to your podcast, um, doing any recording on the Mac using an audio editing program, either in the Apple and under the Mac environment or in Windows using the Mac? And I'm thinking about things like, you know, you need to check the what you hear option or the stereo mix option and that sort of thing. I I haven't. I've done my podcast using the Victor Stream. Uh, however, I know of people who have done it. It is doable. There's a program called uh, Amadeus that uh, is a great audio editor on the Mac. Uh, it's accessible, uh -huh. and it even allows you to do multi-track recording. And I think it costs like uh, $40, Wow. Uh, which is, I think, uh, I don't know if Goldwave does multi-track. I think SoundForge may, but you're going to pay quite a bit more for, for SoundForge and Windows. But uh, Amadeus. Uh, there's another one that that uh, is called uh, Sound Studio that I believe works. 
Uh, as far as the mixing goes, there is a program. Actually, there's a couple of programs that, that do some of that. One of them is called Audio Hijack Pro, and the other one is called a Wiretap Studio that allows you to do those types of things. Basically, you can record from any uh, channel. So, uh, yeah, it, it is doable, de- definitely. I guess for me, the very first contact I ever had with a computer was uh, a guy when I was pretty young, and he had a Mac. And I can, that was before I even knew about screen reader technology at all. And I remember thinking, gosh, it would be nice to be able to, to use a computer. And then, of course, when I actually found out it was possible, everything was being done that I was familiar with anyway from the Windows side. So I guess for me, it's kind of um, almost a go in full circle. It just kind of in, intrigues me. Plus the fact that I, I just kind of at a gut level, I'm like you. I feel like what Apple is doing is the right thing as far as providing accessibility. Yeah, and the other advantage too uh, with the uh, with the Mac, and a lot of people don't know this, is uh, for Braille displays. Now, I don't have a Braille display, but for those that do, of course, on the Windows side with the screeners, you have to usually uh, tell it, you know, what Braille display are you using, and that type of thing. With the Mac, if it's a USB, uh, I don't know if 10.5 supports the Bluetooth displays, but I know 10.6 is going to. Um, but certainly with the USB ones. You don't have to tell it anything. You literally just plug in the display, and it just works. It maps the keys. It just works. Excellent. That is great. And uh, from what I've from what I've heard, uh, you know, it works really well for those that have used it. The other thing, of course, is if you should need to reinstall your OS on the Mac, which is, though possible, not near as likely as as Windows, or when doing an upgrade, like when ten point six comes out in a couple of months. You can do it totally without sighted help, and I'm not talking using a script either. Uh, I'm talking about an actual Inst- uh, the install, you boot off of the DVD, and then you start up VoiceOver, and literally the install will then speak and or use Braille during the install. I have not, as of yet, gotten to play with, with a Mac, but I, I'm kind of like you, and you mentioned on a podcast that you, you like to read manuals even before you play with a product. Uh, and so I actually went to Apple's site, which there's a couple places I guess you can go. Apple.com slash accessibility as one. And I believe that's the place I would say to start. Yeah, exactly. And I think even apple.com slash voiceover, which uh, I think might actually work. But I saw that the user guide for voiceover is available in several formats, one of which is a well formatted .brf file, uh, which leads me to believe the way that it was formatted, that it's also available in hard copy. Do you know if that's true? I believe it is true. Yes. You can you can get that uh, already brailled. I, I do believe that's that it, that is true. Yeah, and, uh, um, and and the manual for voiceover is about it's about a hundred pages. Yeah, yeah. So it, it definitely you know covers uh, you know everything and, and of course it's also available as a PDF, which the PDF reads really well. You know another thing that I noticed as I was reading their documentation. I mean you can tell that it was written, and I'm actually not talking about the manual, although that's good too. But even just on their site. Uh, the information they give you, it's pretty obvious that it's done by people who know what a screen reader is and who understand the needs of a blind person. I mean, it's not just a bunch of sighted folks who kind of put some token support into a, you know, a program and, and hope that it works. You can tell that there's some, some savvy people uh, that are working on that project. Oh, yes. Yes, you can. Um I mean, th- with the hints they give you in the user's guide, uh, also, you, you can definitely tell that it was not – well, I'll, I'll do a comparison here. I, I think what you're describing where they just tossed something in, I believe Narrator is a good example of that yep. Yep. In, in, in Windows. And uh, Apple 
Apple went definitely went above and beyond the minimum requirement for accessibility. They they I mean, if you look in the back of the user's guide of VoiceOver, the whole uh, appendix A is a list of the key the keystrokes for VoiceOver. Now, granted, uh, you probably won't use all of them uh you may at one time or another but uh just to tell you how many you know keys it's got i mean that appendix listing the keystrokes alone is like three or four pages yeah so that tells you how many you know functions it's able to do now that doesn't mean of course you have to memorize every single one of those you you don't right uh there are a lot of them uh that i rarely if, if ever use but they're there if you if you should need them. What are some fundamental differences between okay. the Apple OS system and Windows? Are you referring to the OS uh, or VoiceOver specifically or all of the above? All of the above. Okay. Um, well, first off, there are, let, let me put it this way, there are some similarities. Uh, you, know, you have buttons, you've got a menu bar, there are, you know, check boxes, radio buttons, you know, y- you can... Um, You've got, you know, the Finder, as it's called. That would be the closest thing to compare it to would be, you know, uh, Explorer in, uh, in in Windows. That's got your desktop and your folder views. You have um, the Dock, as the Mac calls it, which is kind of a cross between the taskbar and the quick launch because it, it shows what's running, and then it also you can put icons, you know, for applications onto the Dock that you use uh, frequently. As far as how a sighted user probably uses it, it's probably not that much different i mean you click on it it is a graphical interface so sighted users really i i wonder how much you know they really have to learn that's that's new. it's probably not much the main difference and this is the biggest one and i i say this as a difference i don't want to say it's a disadvantage because it isn't i i, I don't take it as a disadvantage anyway right. it's just it's just different um voiceover does not hold your hand in a lot of ways, the way a Windows screen reader does. Um, in Windows, of course, you have you know scripts or set files you know made up for all these different you know applications. So either it will you know speak better, or a lot of times you know it will read things a certain way, or you know kind of telling the screen reader you know what to focus on. And the screen readers in Windows kind of tell you you know basically okay, this is what you need to pay attention to. This is what you know this is what's what's important with voiceover the information is there but you have to what's the word i'm looking for here you have to ask for it essentially so the biggest difference i would say is there is more navigation involved you know using the vo- the voiceover keys and, and navigating your your applications um and, and you know, and discovering what's there. There's more exploration involved in it. Now, the the advantage to that is you you don't have the screen reader or the computer deciding, okay, this is what's important. This is what you need to focus on. That this puts that in the hands of the user, which is really where it should be, right. I, I think, um, because the computer is smarter than the person. At least they're supposed to be. Um, or the, the other way around, the person smarter than the computer. Yeah, the, yeah, the person smarter than the computer. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, that's that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, you know, there is more you know navigation and exploration. But the advantage of that is that once you know how to you know navigate and and use you know one application, you can essentially do that 
with every other application, assuming at least it's built, you know, halfway standard as a uh, as a Macintosh application. So that is the biggest difference, I think, is that you know you you can't. You know, a lot of times with a Windows screen reader, you know, you, you fire it up and you're just tabbing around, arrowing around, and the screen reader is telling you everything pretty much in Windows. Um, if you do that on a Mac, I mean, the Mac does support, you know, tab and shift tab and arrowing around through the menus, and VoiceOver works with that. But it, uh, you know, it you're, you're going to end up using the VoiceOver navigation keys to really get the full to really get the full um, the full benefit. The other difference is with some items, not everything, but with certain items such as uh, like a table or what's called a scroll area. That's like what you would see when you're reading a PDF file or a uh, like a website, perhaps. You interact with that. And what that's basically doing is it's telling VoiceOver to focus on this particular control. For instance, in the mail program, the message list, as you navigate with VoiceOver, it's going to say, you know, a messages table. Now, of course, in Windows, as you read, like, with your JAWS cursor or your windowized mouse pointer or whatever the case may be, it's going to start reading you then as you keep reading down all the messages and that type of thing. With VoiceOver, if you, if, if you're just navigating the window and it says, you know, messages table and you keep going to the next item, it's going to tell you, you know, something else. It might be, you know, the, the toolbar or something. I'm just using that as an example. I don't have the mail application open at the moment. Right. But in order to read the messages, then what you do is you interact with that table and then your reading is restricted to that area, in this case, the messages table. But the advantage of that then is... Again, going back to uh, some comparisons here for, for Windows, just, just to see the, the difference. As you start to read the messages, if you were using your reading cursor, per se, eventually you're going to come to the bottom of the screen, and then you're going to have to end up scrolling the list down and, and you know, assuming you're reading with your mouse or your, you know, your cursor. Of course, you can just arrow up and down in Windows through your messages, and you can do that with VoiceOver, too. I'm just uh, talking about the navigation for comparison. Right. When you interact with something with VoiceOver, you are not restricted to just what's on the screen then with that particular item. For instance, um, again, with the messages table, if you interact with that and then you continue to use the VoiceOver navigation keys, you're going to end up reading down through all of the messages even beyond what's on the screen. So it's, you know, when you interact with something, you are basically working with that control or that item and you're going the whole thing even if it's beyond what's what's on the screen same thing with the what i mentioned with a pdf file a scroll area it's called it's a it's an area of uh, the text and when you interact with that you can then read the entire thing even if it's beyond uh, the screen and you can scroll it up to the top or or the bottom you know well actually you can do both things you can go to the top of the visible part on the screen or the bottom visible port or, or you can say, you know, move to the very top or the very bottom, scrolling it if needed. Okay. Wow. So, um, that's that's the, really the big the big difference. It's it's there is more navigation involved, you know, as far as you know, moving your your voiceover cursor and reading, but there is another advantage to that, also. Um, 
in Windows, let, let's do another um, uh, comparison here to show the difference. And, and by the way, I'll, I'll say this too. Um, when you, if you decide to try a Macintosh, you want to make sure that you don't expect it to work the same way Windows does. That's the problem this reviewer had with, with the uh, NFB. If you look at the sections of that, each time it says, you know, well, in Windows, it works this way. And I'm thinking, but this isn't Windows. Right. You're not in Windows. And while there are some similarities, you know, you've got the menu bar, you've got buttons, and some of that applies, and there are equivalents, you don't want to go into this expecting that it's going to work and do things in the same way Windows is. If you if you go in expecting that, you're you're going to you're going to have problems. It's it's almost guaranteed. Right. And of course, for our listeners, we're talking about the June uh, NFB Braille Monitor article that reviewed the uh, voiceover and was actually quite critical of the screen. It was most of it was just wrong. I, I mean, it, this isn't a matter of stuff that you know. Well, I don't think it works it the way it should. This was just. I mean, for example, they say, well, there's no way to spell check an entire document that factually is is totally wrong right. there there are actually two ways to uh to spell check something and actually the beauty of the spell checker on the mac is it's not just available in your word processor any place where you're in an edit you know edit box where you're typing text whether it's a word processor filling in a form on a website even in an instant messenger you can spell check it right it works it works every place but anyway um another advantage to I think the way VoiceOver does it again. Let's let's do another Windows comparison. A lot of times in a dialog box, when you tab around, you get the controls. Okay, but a lot of times there's intervening text in between those controls that explains you know what an option does or or that type of thing. So if you want to read that text, you have to use your you know in Windows you have to use like your JAWS cursor or your you know your Windowized mouse pointer and that type of thing, and then when you're doing that, let's say you get to a you know a button or something or a, a text box you know you may want to work with, but then your system focus usually is left somewhere else. So you have to do one of two things: you have to either you know click your mouse on that item or tab until you get to the item that you're reading with your mouse pointer. Now, of course, there is a route you know there is a keys to route the system to the mouse and the mouse to the system focus and that. But it depending on what control you're in, it doesn't always work. Right. Okay, with VoiceOver, when you're in a dialog box, okay, and you navigate with the VoiceOver cursor, again, tab and shift tab, those, you know, you can tab through the controls on the Mac just like you, you, know, you do in Windows, but here's the difference. When you're navigating with the VoiceOver keys in a dialog, you can then read the, you know, intervening text if there is any, but when you come to a control, like an edit box or a you know, a button, anything like that, unless you turn this feature off, which you can do if you really want to, your system focus also follows your voiceover cursor. So, for instance, if you're in a, uh, you know, a dialog box that's asking you for some um, information, for example, like you're, let's say you're going to connect to a wireless network, okay, and you read the dialog box, and you come to, and you come to the field that asks you for the the wireless password when it says you know we'll secure it a text in that case because that's a password field you're in the box ready to type there's no need to tab to it or anything so again unless you turn that off your system focus follows your your reading cursor whenever it can so you come to a uh, you know a button or something like that your keyboard focus is 
also there. You come to a uh, edit box. Your your focus is there. You're ready to type in it if you wish. If you don't, you just keep reading through the dialog box or the web page or something like that. Which, and again, speaking of the web, then in that case, so because of that, there is no need to switch in and out of a forms mode or anything like that on the web with with the Mac. You come to a um, edit box on a form in a web page. You're there. You're ready to type. Excellent. And uh, in just in listening to your uh, podcast, I mean, when you're reviewing with the voiceover cursor, you can certainly go uh, line by line, but there are also commands that uh, really kind of move you by elements, right? Whether that be a sentence or a paragraph. Which there are, yes. Which like is more of a natural way to do it, actually. It is, yeah. It's, you can go, well, the regular voiceover keys... Uh, move you by item. Now, an item might be a, a block of text. It might be, you know, a control, a button, and an edit box. It might be a label, because a lot of times, and this was one criticism that uh, the review made, but really, that's how it works. I mean, like, they said, well, you come to the label, and then you've got to navigate uh, to the next item to get to the actual field, like for an edit box. Well, that's how it is on the screen. To the left, the f- the field name is usually to the left or above the actual box. So it is it is presenting it to you exactly as a sighted person would would see it. And that is, you know, something I think to the window screeners have done in some ways they have become almost too ah, what's the word? They've almost become going beyond really what they should be in some ways in, in a sense that they they build functions into some of these programs like uh, for, in JAWS, for instance, in Microsoft Word. I mean, they build so much stuff in there that you almost wouldn't even be able to memorize it all. And a lot of it is stuff that a screen reader really shouldn't even have. Like I remember when Office 97 was out, uh, JAWS had a keystroke to close the Office Assistant. It's like uh, that's a screen reader has no business even doing that. Yeah. That's not what a screen reader is designed to do. Um, whereas with VoiceOver, I mean, it's going to present it to you the way you know a sighted user would probably see it. So yes, the label and the actual edit box are going to be two different items, right? And that's how it how it presents it. But yes, if you want to read, you know, uh, word by word or character by character through an item, you can interact with that item and then read it, you know, word by word, character by character, spell a word. You can go by sentence, by paragraph. Sure, absolutely. Uh, all of that is is available to you. And I suppose the whole thing of interacting and not interacting and when to and when not to, I mean, that's just something you would just have to, to become comfortable with. Now, what happens if you try to interact with something that you can't interact with? I assume VoiceOver will just tell you that. That or just nothing will, nothing will happen. It'll, it usually says interact with something when, when you're doing that. And if you can't do that, then uh, you know, nothing happens. You don't, you don't go a level down, basically. Right. So it's, right. it's, it's no big thing. But the only elements you really need to interact with to get the most benefit again are the scroll areas a table or those are the two the really two big ones uh is the the scroll areas or um or a table or an html content area which would be you know a web page or like the macintosh help um you know it displays it in an html content so so that type of thing uh and that just means to again focus in on that item but then you can read it you know beyond what's on the screen so okay. you know that's that's why it, it does it that way now in uh, leopard uh, snow leopard 10.6 uh, 
if I recall correctly, it seems like uh, VoiceOver may be doing a few more automated tasks. Do I have that right, or can you off the top of your head? Uh, I believe so. It's uh, you certainly have some more verbosity options you can set. Um, it has uh, you can reassign the keys a little bit more. Um, now, like I've got a desktop keyboard, so I've um, assigned most of my voiceover functions to the number pad, which uh, you know makes navigating uh, a bit easier. Uh, so you can do that. Uh, if you have a notebook, this is kind of a nifty thing. You'll be able to control the voiceover cursor using the uh, touchpad. Yeah, that whole discussion is quite interesting. I know that Twitter is all a flutter with uh, the iPhone and the whole touch phone thing, and that's being carried right over to uh, to like like you say with uh, notebooks using uh, the the touchpad area. So that's pretty uh, amazing. That uh, it sounds like they've got that working pretty well, actually. Yeah, from what I've heard, they do. I've also heard that it, it is a bit more responsive uh, in 10.6. Well, actually, the whole OS is going to probably be more responsive because up until now, the OS has been basically what's called universal binary because it's run on the Intel and the PowerPC platforms. Well, in 10.6, uh, Apple is dropping support for the PowerPC platform. It's going to be Intel only. So not only do you have a smaller OS because you don't have all the extra code, but it should run faster because it's it's Intel code only, essentially. So that should be. I'm really looking forward to getting that when that uh, when that comes out. Do you very often have speech losses, as in crashes, in Voiceover, and how do you recover from those? I'm not going to say it hasn't happened, uh, but it is very rare. And when it does happen, a Voiceover automatically restarts, so you're never left without speech. Wow. Nice. Um, I can't tell you honestly the last time I've actually had a crash, though. Um, I think the last time I did, well, and it wasn't even a uh, so much a voiceover crash. Uh, there was some issues with uh, Safari version version for Safari's the web browser on certain sites where if you had voiceover running, the browser would crash. But they've they fixed that. Uh, but voiceover itself didn't crash. Um, but uh, again, if VoiceOver should crash, which I, I can't actually tell you the last time that VoiceOver itself has actually crashed and actually had to restart itself. It's been you know months. It's so rare, but um, when it does, again, it, it restarts, so you're never you're never left without uh, speech. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they've really really put a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of you know um, thought into this. I guess, to my way of thinking, you know, Apple should be commended for the work that they've done. It seems like sometimes there's some, some pushback, um, whether it's people that are just not wanting to try something new or skeptical, or as we know, there's always going to be some politics involved, some people that, you know, that are... Oh, yes. Aren't. And that's really a shame that people are that hung up in something. It's like here, you know, a company has built accessibility into their products. I mean, the Mac is accessible now. Uh, two different models of the iPod are accessible and now the iPhone's accessible, and people still want to, uh, you know, criticize them. And it's like, you know, if if you don't want to use it, it's it's your choice. I mean, some people have said, you know, they don't want to deal with all the extra navigation, and and they don't want to learn anything new. And and I suppose that's their that's their choice. Sure. But you know, but at the same time, you know, don't criticize the company then for doing it because it doesn't work the way that you know you think it should. If you're happy with Windows and you really don't want to learn anything new, then certainly it's your choice and and you're right to stay with that. Uh, I, I, I think the advantages of the Mac, even aside from voiceover, the way the OS works, 
um, and and the, with some of these support calls that I take, you really learn to appreciate it. Uh, for instance, there is no registry on a Mac. So when you install an application, it's, it's done one of two ways. Either you – there is an, what's called an install package, which runs an installer, but essentially all it does is it copies the files to your applications folder. It just automates that process that you could essentially do your, yourself. The other way is – you just copy the application to your applications folder. You don't have all these shared files and, and, and a registry entries scattered all over the place. If you want to uninstall an application, you simply go to the applications folder, delete the application, and then go to your uh, what's called the library folder, which is kind of similar to application data in Windows, and delete uh, the uh, preferences for that application, and it's uninstalled. That's it. There, there's no... You know, shared files dumped every place. There's no registry to clean up, and there's not even a need to defrag your hard drive. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I've had my Mac for about a year, and it's it's running every bit as fast as the day I got it. That's amazing. That's something you certainly can't say for a Windows PC. No, and I take calls, you know, from people, you know, with our software and, and my support. You know, these files won't register, or you know, stuff installs to the wrong place because. A, a registry keys messed up, and the, I take those calls now, and I'm thinking it just it just makes you appreciate the Mac more and more because you don't have any of that to deal with. It's it's a from a design perspective, uh, the Macintosh has Windows beat hands down. There's not even it's not even on the same playing field. It's just it's so much more stable. It's it's designed better. It's just it's an all around better OS. There's just no other way to put it. Yeah. Do you think it's starting to be even used more in, in the mainstream, in the, in the sighted community? I mean, it seems like I'm hearing more about Apple again more and more. I think so. I mean, there was an article I read recently where uh, Microsoft, you figure it's still quite a bit of the market, but even still it's significant because it hasn't happened in like years. But uh, Microsoft's market share for Windows has dropped below 90% in the OS market. Wow. So I, I think I think that it is uh, both for blind and sighted people because of, well, I, I think it's several things, but I, I think uh, that it's a lot of the way Windows works and some of the, you know, the other things, it just, I mean, it's not just the design, like with the registry and stuff that I've got a real problem with with Windows, it's one other issue I've got is the whole product activation thing, you know, a lot of times if your computer crashes and you have to you know, call and explain or, or for Office or any of those, you know, you have to call and explain, well, my computer crashed, you know, can you reactivate this? And it's like, you know what, I'm not saying that I understand why they do it, and I'm not saying that piracy's right. I'm not promoting that. But at the same time, it's like, you know what, if I have paid for this license, okay, and I have a problem, I should not have to call and explain my situation to, to, to get this working again. That that I find that unacceptable. I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the uh, question of cost. What will... Um what will the next version of uh, Leopard cost a person? What will that set you back? If you have a Intel Mac, which is the only thing it's going to run on, huh, I don't think Microsoft will ever charge this uh, small of an amount. Not to mention there's not uh, four or five different editions of the OS, and you don't have to deal either with this, well, is it an upgrade where you have to insert a disk to prove that you've got a qualifying upgrade. You, you don't have any of that. It's just one DVD, one OS. The cost is 29 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that makes me laugh just thinking about it. And if you buy a Mac between now and the time it's released, you can upgrade, I think, for 9 bucks. But even if you bought an Intel Mac, you know, like two years ago, the, the cost uh, for the upgrade is, uh, is, is $29. Wow. 
That's funny. That's excellent. Now, I mean, and, and another one of the things that now I guess I keep talking about the podcasts. I guess we probably ought to tell listeners where to find them. Uh, most of them are on Blind Cool Tech. I'm sure there are other places as well. All eight of them are on uh, Blind Cool Tech, actually. And the first couple are actually not named the same as the remaining ones. I think the first two are called Mac Accessibility Demo or something like that. Uh, I believe they are, yes. And then from then on, it was like Mac Demo 2 or 3, Mac Demo 4. I know the the uh, later ones were easy to find. I had no trouble. Uh, probably the best way to find them, though, is to, um, especially on the Blind Cool Tech site, is to look for your last name. So you might want to spell uh, All of them except the first one. The first That's one's right, just, under just under Mike, Mike for some reason. <laughs> but if you look under Macintosh 2 or Mac, you're, you're bound to find it. Okay, good job. That's that's probably the best way you'll 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 find them. And if if anyone you know has any you know has trouble finding any of them, you know, let me know. I can I, I can find the link uh, pretty easily and, and send it to you. You've done a um, heck of a lot of work on those, by the way. Yeah, I, I you know I did a couple of them mainly just you know to to get the word out that you know hey this is another you know option because you know I I think it's and I think the day is coming too even on Windows when people are not going to put up with this high priced adaptive stuff anymore the you know paying a thousand dollars for a screen reader and I, I think that uh, it's already starting to to happen yeah. in, in some ways yeah. uh, with the, you know what system access is done um, I, I believe we are going to see that uh, day coming um, and of course now with the Mac I mean it's it's free uh, you know, the screen reader is actually built into it. But when I did the first a couple, just to, you know, to get the word out, then people started, you know, asking, well, how, how do you do this? How do you do that? Can you can you demonstrate this? So that's what kind of, uh, you know, that that's where I kind of uh, continued with it. And I've actually already got planned what I'm going to cover in uh, podcast number nine. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, having the time to um, uh, to do it. Um, but uh, that's the, the plan is already laid out, though. I think it's going to be a really good one. Excellent. Um, yeah, and you kind of showcase the Victor Reader stream. That uh, internal mic on the stream is really pretty impressive, actually, for, for what it is. Uh, and you've, yeah, you've made good use of it, actually. So. Yeah, the only, my only pet peeve at this point is uh, they haven't developed a uh, program for the Mac to uh, convert the audio... Uh, format to a regular wave or uh, MP3, and I really wish they would do that. Yeah, because that's one thing I still have to do in uh, in Windows. Yeah, and uh, that's that's a shame. I'll I'll be glad when they do that. So how is Skype coming along on the Mac? I know Windows users are kind of right now having a love hate relationship with uh, beta, well, you know, version four, I guess. Um, Skype works really well. Uh, there, you can do a conference. I've never done a chat, so I haven't tried that. Uh, you can certainly make calls. You can answer calls, as you've uh, sure. uh, seen here. Um, that's not a problem. Adding contacts is no problem. Um, the voicemail part of it. Now, I don't know if there's options to actually let you listen to the message or not when you uh, send it. I usually just send it and then you know hit the hang up. Um, the only issue with the current major release. Now, I think they fixed this in the beta, the 2.8 beta, which I'm not running. Uh, I'm running the, the last official release, 2.7. Uh, when you're transferring a file, uh, you can't read the um, like how much has been sent so far and, and that type of thing. But I believe they have fixed that uh, in the beta, and of course that'll be fixed in the final uh, 2.8. That's the only really thing that you have um, 
that you have trouble with. Other than that, I mean, you know, dialing is no problem. Making calls, contacts, that's no problem. Um, doing conferences, that's that's easy. Can you tell who's so, coming online and who's going offline? Or, or, I mean, I assume you can tell when you arrow up and down through your contacts. Um, you, well, you can't by reading the table. Um, I'm not sure if that's not there or if voiceover just is is not able to see that for some reason because of the the way it's designed but there is a workaround for that um and you you can do that by going to the view menu and just telling it to only show you the online contacts that's easy gotcha and and that way you see them because if they're offline anyway you can't really contact them and of course we know that itunes works well yeah now i've never bought anything from the store actually um but certainly I could do that if I wanted to. It's uh, it, it's very accessible. I don't know if this is how it works on Windows because I haven't used iTunes on Windows, but it's really cool too because you pop in a CD and, of course, it retrieves the artist stuff and then you can just, um, you know, arrow right down through the um, list of songs and it gives you, you know, the, the track number, the artist, uh, the, the title of the song and you just uh, press enter to play that track and, you know, all the buttons for like repeating, shuffling, that's all accessible. I don't know if it works in Windows, if it's possible to do all that. It, but. it does. The no, the biggest problem with iTunes and Windows is that the, it does very slow refreshing. In other words, if you'll arrow up and down through a, tra- a list of tracks, sometimes if you jump to the top or the bottom of that list, um, it takes a while for the screen reader to catch up. Uh, and you, yeah, on the Mac, it's just. Uh, let me grab. Let me grab a CD sure. actually, and we'll see if it's any. Is there any difference? All right. All right. I think the one I grabbed was um, one of the Chicago's greatest hits cool. CDs. Yeah. So we'll just. Um, I think. I think I'm still sitting in Skype. Let's just. Oh, the other thing that Voiceover does too, which is good. I don't know if there's a feature in Windows to do this, or not. With any of the Windows screen readers, where you can pop up a a list of. Basically, all the applications, I mean, you can command use the command tab keystroke to, you know, switch between them. That's kind of like Alt-Tab in Windows, but VoiceOver has actually got a keystroke where it pops up a menu of your running applications. You pick the one that you want to switch to, and then it gives you like a sub-menu of all the windows that are open within a- that application. You pick the one you want, you press enter, and it automatically switches your focus, you know, to that app. That's pretty nice. <laughs> I don't know if any of the Windows ones do Not that. Not really. Not that I can think of uh, off the top of my head, anyway. Yeah, so that's a nice uh, that's a nice feature for switching. Uh, I mean, usually you can do it from the window window menu of an application or command tab, but it just provides a way to do it. Okay, so I'm back in the Finder. Let's go down to the dock with a Control F3. That's a built-in Mac OS command. iTunes for it hit I for iTunes. Press Enter and should be enough iTunes now. Okay, there we go. All right, so what I'm going to do now is uh, pop in this disk, and uh, we just uh, pop this in, and it kind of just, on this computer here, just kind of sucks it out of your hand like that, and um, and this is kind of a good example, too, of what I was talking about uh, with uh, interaction as opposed to, like, if you were just to take your mouse cursor probably in Windows and read it. Um, this is actually a really good example of that. Um, probably, I mean, I, I've never used iTunes in Windows, but I'm assuming that if you um, just read down like with the mouse, like in Windows, it's gonna you're going to see probably your sources and it's going to list all the sources at least that it can that fit there. Yeah. And then you're going to see the list of songs and again, it's going to list whatever it can, but it may not uh, you know, probably all fit. Well, okay, if we zap to the top of this uh, window. Now I'm going to use the voiceover keys 
it's it's dim. We can't do anything right. with it. Just move to the right. right. Play button. Next dim button. LCD Apple logo image. Mute button. One hundred percent volume horizontal slider. That's another thing about voiceover actually that's really good. Um, in Windows, pretty much if they don't provide a way to tab to every single, if they don't provide a way to tab to every single control, especially like a slider or something like that. Chances are you're not going to be able to click the mouse in the right spot to move that uh, slider unless it's got it's it's able to be focused with the uh, with the keyboard right. in Windows. Well, with this, well, of course it's um, like with iTunes, you really can't tab to this volume slider, but it really doesn't matter because again, as you move your voiceover cursor, your system focus also moves with it. And even if it didn't, you can interact with a slider when you come to it and move it that mm -hmm. way. Yeah, so it's not a it's not a big thing. So if we keep moving, full volume button, text list view switcher selected, dim radio button, grid view switcher, dim radio button, cover flow view switcher, dim search text field blank. So again, the search text field. Now you notice I was just reading with the voiceover cursor. If you were in Windows and you were um, you know, reading with your mouse cursor or whatever, and you come to like a search or something like that, your system focus would still be someplace you'd have to probably click on that or, or find a way to tab to it to get your focus into that right. box. Well, we are already in the box. We could type a search now if we wanted to. It's just there. It just, and we can verify it. We do the command to read what's in the keyboard uh, to read the uh, keyboard focus. Insertion at beginning of text. Search text field as keyboard focus. Yep. Insertion at beginning of text. Yeah. Search text field. So if we keep going. Sources. Okay, it says sources table. Now, again, in, here's the difference. In Windows now, um, you would probably start to read all of the sources and that type of thing, and if you weren't interested in that, you'd have to skip you know, past it. Well, let's say in this case you weren't interested in the sources. You want to keep going. You could just do that. Just keep going. Vertical spider. Songs table. And like that. Now, what if we are interested in the sources? What we can do then, actually there's two ways in this case. Vertical sources table. We could do sources. Now, our keyboard focus is also on that, so we could just use the, you know, the arrows up and down. Right. But for the sake of this, let's say we did want to read it with the uh, voiceover navigation. So in that case, we would... Interact with sources table. Unselected. The heart of Chicago 1967, 1997. Disc playlist. The heart of Chicago 1967. Now we can move. You'll notice what it does. Playlist. Expanded. iTunes DJ. Playlist. 90s music, hmm. smart playlist. It navigates through that table and only that uh, that table. And when you're done, once you've got what you want, you stop interacting. But the difference is, if there were more items here than what filled the screen, that wouldn't even be an issue. Right. So that's that's really the best way to demonstrate interacting. And some people say, well, that's a disadvantage. I I think it's an advantage in some ways, actually. Right. Uh, okay. So if we let's go back up to the CD. There we go. We'll stop uh, interacting with that interacting. table. Now um, we can just move to the songs table. Now here's the uh, song list. Now um, I'll just uh, arrow th through it, and we could just press enter, of course, to play any of these. But sure. you just go. Um, Row one. Status. One name. You're the inspiration. Time. Three fifty. Artist. Chicago. Album. The heart of Chicago. One thousand nine hundred sixty-seven. One thousand nine hundred ninety-seven. Genre. Rock. Row 2. Status 2. Name. If you leave me now. Time. 355. Artist. Chicago. Okay, now, 
what if we're not interested in all that extra verbiage? And this comes in handy with the email client too. You know, the row, the the we already know it's the artist, that type of stuff. Right. What do you do in that case? Well, and this comes in handy too for like reading spreadsheets. Well, let's interact with that this table. Interact with songs table on selected row two. Okay. Status. Now that we're interacting with the table, if you use the voiceover, you know, left and right, it moves through the different uh, columns essentially of the table. So if we get to the name one, name. If you leave me now. Now, if we arrow, make me smile. Up and down, we just got hard habit to break. Saturday in the park, wishing you were here, the only one. Color my world, look away, here in my heart, just you and me. So you've essentially got the best of both worlds. If you want to hear just one column as you arrow through it, you can. Or if you want to hear the entire table, you can do both. Right. So I don't know if... Now, as far as moving between up and down, let's see if I... Um, okay, we'll do it this way. Um, row 12, row 11, row 10, um, row 9, row 8. Okay, it, uh, it looks like to move to the very top... Okay, yeah... It looks like there's no direct command to do this um, in iTunes, but that's okay, because what we can do is use a voiceover command. We'll just interact with the uh, table again, and then we'll use the uh, go to the top scrolling if uh, necessary command. Interact with the table, and we are on the... And we're on row one. That's the first song. Now, if we wanted to zap to the bottom of it, we could just uh, use the go to end scrolling if necessary key. So here's how long it takes to respond and go to the bottom. Look, it says genre rock because and it says because it moves down to the last item, scrolls it, and then if it needs to, and then it moves actually to the very last column. But we're essentially on um, row 15. So that's how long it takes to respond when you move from the top to the bottom of a uh, of a CD, so that's that's kind of how that works, and that's that's a good example of the interacting. I think once you do it a few times, it's not it's not that hard really to to grasp of the concept. Sure, yeah, it's just kind of zooming in on it essentially, and, and working right, with it. right. Um, but it works. I, iTunes works great on the Mac. It's uh, and as you have said before, you can use the traditional tab and arrow keys if you want to. It's just that you may or may not have the best results that way. Right. Yeah. That that's a good way to put it. And some you know some things you can tab to, some you can't. But again, on the Mac, it's not as big of an issue as it is in Windows. Um, you know, so you can yeah you can interchange. You can mix, and this is how I do it. I, I kind of mix and match Mac OS keys with um, with the voiceover navigation. Now, whenever I'm exploring a new application, I usually always use the voiceover keys right. because then you want to get the maximum feedback and read the maximum amount of text that's that's available exactly next week we will continue with part two of our interview with mike arrigo we'd like to thank you for joining us this week you can drop us a line main menu at acbradio.org you can subscribe to some mailing lists announce-subscribe at acbradio.org friends-subscribe at acbradio.org or main menu-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org On behalf of Jeff Bishop and the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jimmy Pauls. Have a great week.